we are looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 18. If you would please turn with me to that text. Second Corinthians three, six through eighteen. We will pray and read the word of the Lord. I do not get the opportunity because of the volume of information that is in this text to give a uh, overview, an in-depth overview, every Sunday. Um, I shared, I think it was nine weeks ago, that. Uh, this thing will just keep stacking on itself. Uh, it does not give me uh, the time to bring it all back together. So if you have missed some, I would suggest you get on our website and uh, catch up uh, because um, you need it all. Because the question is, who is adequate to be a minister of the new covenant. Who is adequate to share the good news of Jesus Christ to humanity in such a way that it is the sweet aroma rising unto God, the creator and sustainer of existence? And, uh, and if you could tell me the school you should attend or the professor you should study under. Um, I would cherish that information. So let's pray and read the word of the Lord. Father, we come today in this season. Um, and yet, Lord, I think it is always this season. And Father, uh, the good news. That we would be found faithful. That we would walk worthy. And that, Father, uh, our lives would be that of overwhelming humility. And, uh, Father, uh, where you ask, we would go. What you ask, we would give. And that, Father, we would understand that being children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, heirs, joint heirs with Christ to all of existence, Father, we bow before you with joy, overwhelmed with your presence, eager to be about our Father's work. To you and you alone, our King, and Christ and Christ alone, our King. Amen. Beginning in verse 6. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses until the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, 
And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That's some powerful stuff, people. And I do not know that I'm doing it any justice. But we will press on. We shared last week that the old covenant, the Mosaic law that you would call it, the Old Testament, as you may call it, is basically divided into three parts. You have the civil law, you have the moral law, and you have the ceremonial law. The civil law dealt with Israel as a nation, separate from all the other nations, and yet there to win the other nations. The moral law, God's stance before God, God's standard for holiness, and God's will for man in that stance. You have the ceremonial laws, which are all symbols and pictures of the need of a redeemer and the shedding of innocent blood. And you do all of these things because in the first two, you realize that you are not adequate. And in the third, you do realize that you need a savior. Okay, verse 10 here, you see, for indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. See, if you take. A 40-watt bulb, and it's pitch black. Okay? Pitch black. I got a 40-watt bulb, and it's pitch black. It's dark. I turn that 40-watt bulb on. It is extraordinarily bright, isn't it? Because it is so black, you see that bulb, and you say, Wow, dude, check that out. I take a 500-watt halogen and turn it on next to that 40-watt. What happens? Where did the 40 watt go? And one of the things that you and I have to pay attention to in this day and age is, and I had a guy, I've had a few people say, well, you never teach on the Old Testament. (laughs) You know, once I get the New Testament nailed down, I'll go over and do the Old Testament. How's that? Because... We are ministers of the new covenant. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong. The old covenant has glory. But it has been surpassed. We have the halogen light. I don't need the 41. See, the old covenant is fine. It has glory and it shines brightly. It had its glory. It had its time. But the new covenant has come and the old is gone. Okay. Um, The writer of Hebrews says it is obsolete. Right. So when you think about it, Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. So I don't need the civil. Right. Christ, the ultimate sacrifice for all of sin, is the door to salvation. The purpose of salvation is that person, Christ. So I don't need the ceremonies. Because all the ceremonies said was, you need help. You need help. But see, the one that we like to kind of kind of push it over here is the moral law. Because the moral law says, you know what? Here's the standard. And you know what? I can even take it and make it simple for you. You know, the moral law, they say, well, that's the Ten Commandments. Sure, let me make it easier for you. I'll take it to one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, by the way, if you can't do that, you are guilty of the whole law. And are damned. Okay. Because see one of the things that I've learned. If I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. I will love my neighbor as myself. It's really simple if you think about it. Why? They're God's creation. Right. So, so I don't even have to worry about the second one. 
What is the greatest love? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So just do that, okay? And once you do that and you've arrived at that, then know this. You've achieved righteousness. But be warned, if you break it, you're guilty of all of it. Okay? We are ministers of a new covenant. That's what the Apostle Paul says here. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. We're not adequate in and of ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. God says, I want you to be my servants, and I want you to be the servants of my new covenant. Period. It's really not complicated. And yet, sacramentalists are pushing symbols as if they are realities. They do it today. They were doing it in Corinth. Paul is dealing with that. I think in some ways, today it's worse than it was at the time of Paul. Here's why. Judaizers. Okay, men who claimed Christ, but wanted circumcision, wanted Sabbaths and wanted feasts and festivals. They basically, the Judaizers could say, it says it here in the Bible. See right there, it says to do this. You know, God has instituted a bunch of symbols. They're in the Bible. See the system? And, and yet that system is obsolete and was made obsolete by God himself. When I look at orthodoxy, whether it's the Anglican church, the Russian Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, or the Roman Catholics, what I see in them is the substitution of symbols that never were. They're not in the Bible. We just invented them. Why? Because then I can sit over here and I can push the moral thing. It's back over here. You don't have to look at this. You don't have to look at stealing and honoring your... Just, just ignore that. Do you about 150 Hail Marys and life will be good. That's what they do. You think I'm kidding you? Go in and tell the priest, man, I blew it. Okay? And he'll tell you something profound, and he'll make absolution for you. I have heard it from evangelical denominations that, you know, the pastor's responsibility is to absolve the congregation. Really? Where do you get that in the Bible? I don't care. Pick a spot. The priests knew they couldn't absolve people under the old covenant. They knew they couldn't. And you know what? The priests even knew, you know what? You go and kill you a whole bunch of lambs. You can kill you a whole bunch of chickens. You can kill you a whole bunch of anything. And you're still a sinner. It is no solution. And yet, I watch in our society today, we believe we have the solution. You hear it all the time. I hear it in evangelicalism. I'm trying to help you. I couldn't help you with a map. I have no ability. I have none. But you know what's really cool? Neither do you. Neither do you. I give you the Bible. If that ain't enough for you, plenty of places to go. Okay? But we buy, we want the symbolism. Give me the symbols. Why? Because I hate dealing with my own moral condition. Many invent their own systems. Why would I pray to a saint? You ever thought about that? And I pick a saint. I I just got done reading an article uh, about uh, Jesus' grandmother. 
And I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it looks like Ishmael. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. It's supposed to be Anna's mother or something and how godly she was and all the rest of it. And then at the end of the article, it was a big article. At the end of the article, it says, but we have no confirming writings of this document. So why are we printing it? I don't have anything that confirms this thing. But if you pray to Jesus' grandma, what's going to happen? What would happen? Nothing. You can pray to Mary. Uh, there's actually a document floating around the Vatican right now where they want to make um, Mary co-redeemer. Interesting concept, don't you think? She was blessed of women. Duh. Okay. How would you like to have a child that never did anything wrong? Would that drive a parent nuts? No, I know. We all have children who think they never done anything wrong, but, <laughs> but I'm talking about one that really doesn't do anything wrong. Okay. Mom always loved him more than me. But anyway, <laughs> I know how that's going to work. Do you know that it isn't even biblical for me to call you to penance? Paul told Timothy, any man disagree with you, do not argue with them. Pray that God brings them to repentance. That's an interesting thought when you think about it. I see people worshiping angels and going to angels. I had a lady one time wanted to tell me that I was surrounded by angels. I said, I feel better already. They said, would you like me to teach you how to control them? I said, no, don't need to. And they said, well, but you have so many around you. And I said, well, I know their boss. And that just works well for me. Anyway, I look at all of these things, whether it's in orthodoxy or Catholicism or the Anglicans or whatever, and what I find is that none of this stuff is in the Bible. And you would all sit there and say, well, I know how them Catholics are. I know how them Orthodox people are. I know just what it is. Let me ask you a question. Where did biblical counseling come from? Can anybody give me a biblical precedence for it? I was told that I would receive a counselor. The Holy Spirit. Now, I will, you know, you know, you need to have an accountability thing or you need. What was the other one I heard? I, anyway, I've heard so many things. You scratch your head and think, come quickly, Lord. But anyway. I've heard of Discipleship. But I watch discipleship these days and it is nothing more than people teaching people about books that they've read. It all grows out of traditions. It all grows out of councils. It all grows out of communities. It all grows out of committees. It all grows out of denominations. It all grows out of man. It's not new. Ritual becomes the reality. And you know what? Some of the stuff that I see out there today in the evangelical community is worse than the Judaizers. The new covenant, the true, the simple, the pure salvation is understood only in the new covenant. It doesn't matter if the, the pastor or the proclaimer wears his collar backwards or he wears a robe. None of that matters. It doesn't matter. I remember one time I was uh, is in London, England, uh, Church of St. James, and they have this thing that you kind of go up the back of. You can't do it in America because OSHA would shut you down. But anyway, it's, 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 it's a barrel. And, and the top of the barrel is about right here. Okay? And the reason that, and I mean, you think I'm kidding you, it's a barrel. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you're way up high and you're in a barrel and you're looking at the top of everybody's head. Um, and, and you, and, and it's about here. And they said that the reason that they wanted that done is they don't want to see the preacher. They want to hear the word and you distract. 
So we will put you in a barrel. And all we'll see is your little beanie head sticking up. Okay? And it was, you know, you're climbing up this little rickety stair thing up the back. And you're sitting there going, man, this is kind of spooky. Okay, I hope this barrel holds up until I get done. I got up there, had my Bible with me. And I laid it down and right along the seam of this barrel. uh, in, In wood engraving. It said, sir, we would see Christ. It makes you just want to get out of the barrel. <laughs> Let me go back down. That's the new covenant. See, the new covenant is a saving covenant. The old covenant had its glory, but it was temporary. It had served its purpose. The old covenant... Its moral design was produce an awareness of your sins, my sins. And you know what? The Jews teach it day in and day out. They still do it to this day. There's a little synagogue on the western wall of uh, the plaza there in Jerusalem. You go into that synagogue and you'll see these guys in there teaching day in and day out these kids. You know what they're teaching them? The law. This is what the law is for. This is what it means. This is what it represents. They've got a column on the western wall is here. Then you take the eastern wall. Okay, that's where Jesus is going to show up and really bum everybody out. And if you go down in that little valley there, it's called the Kidron Valley. You go down in that valley and you go up toward the north just a hair. You'll see this big stone column that they've got. It's called the Column of Absalom. Everybody remember Absalom? David's son who died trying to overthrow his father. And what they do is they'll take their kids up there and smack their heads against this column and say, don't be like Absalom. Know what the law says. I want one. (laughs) But they teach them day in and day out. See, in the law, the moral law exposes your sins, exposes all men's sins. But what happens is they never live to the moral side. They do the ceremonies. Now, listen, every one of us in this room are guilty of this. Every single one of us is guilty of this. Instead, we love finding other people's sins. Why? I'm better than you are. Jesus loves me. I remember that one bumper sticker. My wife wouldn't let me buy it. It said, uh, yes, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. She says, you can't have that. I bought one anyway. She's not my parent. I don't have to honor her. (laughs) See, the moral law awakens our reality to sin, despair, and to brokenness. Deuteronomy says that if you ever break any part of the law anywhere at any time, you are damned. A person has a perfect revelation of the perfect purpose of God, the perfect mind of God, the perfect nature of God, the perfect will of God. And guess what? You can't live up to it. You can't. There's no hope. All of a sudden it dawns on you one day. I can't save myself. It doesn't matter how many times I tell the priest I'm sorry. It doesn't no matter how many times I tithe. It doesn't matter how many times I do this. Or I'm, you know, every year for 50 years, I made the Kool-Aid for VBS. I don't care how many times you walk an aisle. I don't care how many times you say the sinner's prayer. I don't care if you immerse yourself and stay there. Still doesn't do nothing. 
See, the lie is, is that if I keep the sacrifices, if I keep the rituals, the ceremonies, if I show up at the temple or if I show up at the church, if I show up on the Sabbath or if I worship or if my diet does this, if I do all of that stuff, then I will be saved. Remember, the Pharisees go to Jesus and say, we are Abraham's. How, this art thing I was watching last night. Um, 91% of Americans believe there is a God. 91% believe there's a God? Really? Have you ever watched politicians? They evoke God when it is convenient. And yet, when I think about the time of Christ, Israel believed there was a God. Jesus arrived, and I think about the Judaism that was there at the time of his arrival, and it had grown and deceived the entire nation. There are people in the United States today who believe that because I'm an American, I am a Christian. I remember when Roman Catholicism did not take the name Christian. They were Catholic. I remember not so long ago that the Mormons would never classify themselves as Christian. We are Latter-day Saints. Okay? But now they're all Christians. They have gotten to the place that the way to deal with sin was to maintain the ceremonies. If you pray at the right hour or the right time, right fo focused way you were pray praying, guess what? It was a means of redemption. How many people have I watched come into my office or come into the church under the day of trial and tribulations and they want God to save them and they're willing to make a deal? You know what my Bible teaches? There are no deals. You look at the symbols and the realities. I mean, yeah, I've, we've had the Passover meal here in the church. It's cool. It is. But the truth of the matter is, I know the reality. I don't have to worry about a little lamb. I don't have to worry about a shank bone. I don't have to worry about bitter herbs. What happens in the body of Christ, as Paul is dealing with here in Corinth, the symbols cloak the reality. And we miss it. I watched, I watched Christian counseling today and I have never seen any aspect of it that is nothing more than behavior modification. That's all it is. I have people who will call with, it'll start picking up here in the spring. They'll want to get married. Okay, and, and we have a policy here in the church that if you want to use the building, sure, it's just a building. Well, will you do mine? No. I won't. Well, what if I go through your counseling? Then hold off your marriage for 10 years. I'm slow. Okay? And I know people on a regular basis, pastors. And you know what the excuse is they use? Well, if I don't do it, somebody else will. Then let them give an account. I ain't going to give an account. I mean, well, that sounds... Whatever. Whatever. I mean, technically, counseling, I do it every Sunday morning. I do it on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. And that's as close to it. And all I'm doing is saying, here's what the Word of God says that was spoken and written down by men led by the Spirit. If you're indwelt by the Spirit, then all of a sudden this becomes fun to you. And if it ain't fun to you, back to square one. 
the deception that exists is that we attend to the symbols and we will never verbally admit it but our actions say if I attend to the symbols it will save me (laughs) see the law drives men to sin it was never intended to give them a solution to sin it just says you're a sinner and that's why you and I have degrees of sinfulness don't we you know, I remember at a Baptist convention or something I was at one time, I said, yeah, the, the Baptists have two unpardonable sins, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and divorce. And if you don't believe me, watch them. You can do any. Oh, you're divorced? My gosh. Lucifer spawn. I never seen anything like it. You know what? What is the difference between divorce and coveting? We always throw up that Deuteronomy says homosexuality is an abomination. It's what it says. You betcha. But I would really suggest you read the context because Moses writing Deuteronomy says if you lie, it is the same as homosexuality. You know what that means? Lying is a, an abomination. And I know no one in this room has ever lied. But we would go, oh my gosh, they're gay. Really? Too many in the church today do not have a relationship and with Jesus Christ. And the reason that they don't is that they have not come to the reality, but they are holding on to a bunch of symbols. I've had people who come say, well, I'd like to get married in your church. I said, well, I don't even know you. Why do you want to get married in our church? Well, my grandma is coming out for my wedding and she's Baptist. Well, that's what I was thinking. That's you just sit there and go, well, great, man. For you, it's one million (laughs) dollars. No, (laughs) we have a lot of people in the body of Christ today who are extraordinarily religious. They know the symbols. I remember a guy coming to me one time, explaining to me that the red heifer to be sacrificed for the building of the new temple cannot have more than three white hairs on it. And you did you know that? Only red heifer I know. McDonald's. And I like mine medium. With cheese. I know. And you're, but, but I'm sitting there going, why would you know that information? I mean, you'd be really good at like Bible trivia. But it's religiosity, people. And it is killing the church. Israel was very religious. Israel's still very religious. The problem is, whether it's Israel or what you see in the body of Christ today, the people are never driven to the point where it is utter despair, hopelessness, the horror of being eternally separated from God over their inabilities, their uselessness. They don't come to the place where they will cry out, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me by your grace. And you know what happens? They don't get there. Well, I was at Christmas service. You know, two years ago, Christmas was on Sunday. I was there. I was a little late, but I was there. I got up early in the morning. I went to sunrise service at Red Rocks.
substitution of the ceremony for salvation that God provides in His Son and His Son alone. How many are content to go to the ceremony week after week after week after week after week, believing that it takes care of their sin? Paul helps us to understand that the moral is to drive us to despair. The ceremonial showed us how desperately we were in need of a Savior. The law is not seen as a way unto salvation. The actions do not save. Verse 7 in your text. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory... So the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. The new covenant is not like the old covenant. The new covenant produces righteousness. Anytime you see the word righteousness, understand this phrase. Right standing with God. Now you think about that for a second. He's already told us in verse 7 that it is a ministry of death. In verse 9, he says it is a ministry of condemnation. And yet both of them have glory with it. Paul has been accused throughout the New Testament of ignoring or depreciating the law of God. Uh, He was even accused of being against the law. In fact, if you're truly honest with Scripture, he was arrested in Jerusalem because they said, quote unquote, he speaks against the law. He's classified as antinomian. Nomian is law, anti-law. We call them anarchists now. And everywhere Paul's ministry took him, This accusation followed him. I've been accused of that. You don't ever teach the Old Testament. You're against the law. You should have seen me before I was saved. I was really against the law then. He wants us to know that he is not against the law. He sees the old covenant. He sees the law in its proper perspective. He sees the law as a ministry of death. He sees the law as a ministry of condemnation. He sees the law for what it truly is. Okay, I was reading, I think it was Linsky, and he made this statement, and I thought it was ironic. The law is the greatest mass murderer in history, unquote. I would not recommend saying that in Jerusalem. Just an idea. And I thought about it, and you know what? If I really think about it, the law of God is the killer beyond all killers. It slays everybody who gets in front of it. Period. Period. Let me illustrate this to you. Um, go to Romans 7. Everybody's saying, is he ever going to get into 2 Corinthians? I just read 7. Go to Romans 7. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. How do you know you are sinning? I know people right now who are saved in the church that don't know what they were saved from. I was saved because I got laid off and my dog bit me and my wife died and my children didn't. And I asked Jesus to save me and he did. What? I remember hearing a late radio interview where a lady said, you know what? I was just having a bad spot in my life. I got God's number and we've been hooked up ever since. Really? 
That gives a whole new meaning to corny. How do you know you're sinning? If there isn't a law, the law is what defines sin. You come down that hill right there, down toward Castle Rock, and if you're doing 55 mile an hour, I'm not sinning, except for that one sign that says 35. Right? And if the man's down there, he says, you're sinning. And it's going to cost you $50. And a point or two point or something. Listen, I mean, you need to understand something. Law defines sin. One of the tragedies that exist in the body of Christ today is you believe you define sin. Okay. Paul gives an illustration here. It's kind of fun. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. That is a fascinating thought when you think about it. Our society today, in the church, is coveting a sin? Go look at the actions in the church and tell me, is coveting a sin? No, it's encouraged. And yet the Bible says, it's a sin. But you understand, right? Coveting doesn't really hurt anybody. I just sit around and covet, 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 covet. Okay? And nobody can even know that I'm doing it. And yet, that's the one that Paul uses as an illustration. If there is no law, then there is no way to define sin. We make it right. And if you look at the church today, tell me there's coveting is a sin in the body of Christ today. By whose standard? By our standard. I need a bigger house, a newer car, a newer whatever. I need newer clothes. I need shinier something. Paul says, apart from the law, I wouldn't have known I was a sinner. Coveting is encouraged today. I mean, nobody's going to get up. Well, today, brothers and sisters, shall we go forth and covet? That's not what we're going to say, but you think about our actions. Look at our actions. I mean, everybody's fighting over Christmas. Well, you know, if I'm not going to a store that says Happy Holidays. I'm, I'm just going to go to the store that says Merry Christmas. And they don't tell me. And they got a website out that you can go find out which stores are saying Happy Holidays and which stores are saying Merry Christmas. Let me ask you a question. Why are you going to the store? I believe that's coveting. And I don't care if you're going in there singing... Joy to the world or jingle bells. You missed it. You completely missed it. Don't we do it? We have an industry that exists for coveting. They call it advertising. That's what it's for. You need this. You'll look great in this. You'll smell good in this. You eat this and you'll be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Law defines sins. You know how we are, aren't we? We take the law of God out of our society. I want you to think about this for a second. How do you decide what is right or wrong? What do you base it on? I read an article. (laughs) It's about UCLA. Okay, and and I don't know what. Anyway, we can say, well, it's a California thing. But anyway, UCLA has voted unanimously, Board of Regents and all them other people, that the ROTC is not allowed on the campus, nor military recruiters. 
Do you want to know why? ROTC promotes the military. The military had a, had a policy. Don't ask, don't tell. They believed that that was discriminatory. How can we, being a public college, allow ROTC, which is affiliated with the military, to be discriminatory? And we're a public college. Well, there you have it. Why didn't I think of that? We are educating the next generation in a way they have no clue what is right or wrong. They don't know. They have no standard. And they definitely don't want to hear that antique old book, the Bible. There's no way to find what is right or wrong. Same state, a little farther north. Uh, a lady was killed by her husband. She was pregnant, about eight months pregnant, seven months pregnant. Okay? He was charged with two counts of murder. Okay. But if she had wanted to kill that child through abortion, what's that called? Choice. Well, why wasn't his decision choice? What are we showing? What are we telling people? Do whatever you want. Why? All you're going to be doing is living your humanity. I remember in the 60s, a guy named Hugh Hefner, speaking of sex and sexual freedom, sex is just a natural urge. Okay? There's no difference between sex and eating. Or drinking. Or sleeping. It's just being a human. That's all it is. It's just an urge. It's just a natural act of being human. <laughs> Try to sell that to your wife. <laughs> well, I thought I was asleep. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Why? We don't have a standard. And you know what happens? The fallen mind says... Right on, right on, right on, right on. I knew it all along. And you know what is, happens with it? It removes guilt. I preached at a church in northern, north of Atlanta. Largest Methodist church in uh, the northern part of the state. A whole bunch of politicians hung out and all the rest of it. And I was supposed to give a message. And it dawned on me as I was sitting there on this platform. There's another speaker in front of me. He, he spoke on Laurel and Hardy. You think I'm kidding you. You don't really think I'd make that up, do you? That's what he spoke on. I was sitting there going, well, why are you holding a Bible in your hand? You could have your hands free. And I noticed as I was looking at it on the audience, probably 80% of it were gay. I don't mean happy. And you just sit there and go. So I, it's the first time in my life where I was prepared for the message and it changed before I got ready. I, was like, I need to do a different message than try to encourage this because I was trying to give a message of encouragement. And it dawned on me I needed to give a message of salvation. There's a book out there. I highly recommend it. Kind of gives you a historical perspective. It's called The Vanishing Conscience written by Dr. MacArthur a number of years ago. Um, and uh, it's obvious that the body of Christ didn't read it. See, you have a conscience. It's a system of warnings. But if I do not inform that system, then I have a flawed warning system. And I look at the body of Christ today, and it has a very flawed warning system. See, it's easy for you and I to say, well, we can't accept no gay people or we can't accept no divorced people or we can't accept, you know, I think they're living together people. But if you're coveting, come on in, bro. All right, we'll help you. I'll show you how to covet. It's only when the authoritative law comes and says, wait a minute. 
that's wrong. You know what happens? As soon as I say, wait a minute, that's wrong, you know what happens? Well, Terry's a Pharisee. He's a legalist. But him saved. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that, but oh well. You point out a person's sin and they find out they're a sinner and then all of a sudden they find out sinners go where? Whoops. You're making friends and influencing people. You take out the law and you can't get any message across anywhere. Because I've had this said to me. That's your interpretation. Dude, this thing isn't complicated. I got in trouble in our denomination. I told him I stood in front of him and said, I do not believe in multiple interpretations of Scripture. And they all looked at me like, well, you can't be that sure. Yeah, I can. I'm different than you. Well, how's come? I read my Bible. I have never had any problems understanding Scriptures. There's times I wonder why. But I've never had any problem whatsoever understanding it. And I am not that smart. <laughs> Verse 8. But sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. When the Bible said you shall not covet, what happened to Paul? He started coveting everything. Isn't it true? If you see a sign on a wall that says wet paint, don't touch. What's your first response? Still? <laughs> don't you? Paul says, I was fine. And then I ran into the law and it says covet and I can't do that. And that just, <laughs> that's all I could do. Let me tell you something. You don't think that ain't true? Let me tell you right now. I'll illustrate it perfectly. Absolutely, positively, I don't want any of you to think of a pink elephant. It's the first thing went through your mind. Just say don't. Watch what did they do. You can't. Don't play in the streets. Kids go out and play hockey in the street. As soon as you tell somebody not to covet, what is it that they do? You pound the law on people, and all it will do is excite their nature. That's all it does. You tell a child, don't do fill in the blank. What do they do? See, the thing is, it's there all the time. Okay? Okay? The problem with you and I is that we don't define it. We don't define it. You know what? Um, when I was young, uh, you know, like junior high, middle school, junior high, um, <clears throat> I loved art. I mean, I loved it. I mean, I, I, I did chalk and oils and, and all these other watercolors and things like that. And I, and I just eat it up. And I had no problem... Um, with nudes. That just, that's just art. And then somebody gave me a Playboy magazine. And it went downhill from there. Why? You can't have that. But I've been painting this stuff since the sixth grade. Now all of a sudden, whoa, looky there. How did that happen? How's come before? See, the nature was always there, but the law showed up and said, that's sin. The law comes and our fallenness says, I don't like the law. I know none of you have ever struggled with that. I, I don't like that. And yet something in you pushes you to do more of it. And the law said, no, that's still sin. The sign says, do not touch. I remember a pastor one time asked me, he says, what do you think the law is for? And I said, it's easy. He said, really? I said, yeah, to be broken. It's the way the law is. 
It's made when it come, it confronts the fallenness of man. It defines his sin. And when it defines man's sin, it just makes it worse. Yeah, if you've never had a chance, and I would highly recommend it, if you can read Pilgrim's Progress, there's a part in there where the law comes into the room. Okay? And it comes in like a servant. Comes into this room as a servant. And then it starts to dust. And the dust turns into these massive billows. You never knew how dirty it was until you started to dust it with the law. And if you've ever thought about this, I, I thought about that. It, when you start dusting, you should do it at night. Because if you do it during the day and the sunlight comes through the window, shazam! <laughs> this sucker's filthy. That's how the law is. It stirs up dirt and it stirs up dirt everywhere. That's what it does. That's what its purpose is. That's what its glory. And yet it can't produce righteousness. But it can prove unrighteousness. It's a killer. It's a mass murderer. It's a ministry of death. It's a ministry of condemnation. Look at verse 8. But sin taking some opportunity through the commandments produced in me, coveting of every kind, apart from the law, sin is dead. When the law comes up, sin is alive. You do things. Do you think about it? When I first got saved, um, I was cruising along. I thought this is the greatest thing since, you know, sliced bread. This is a blast and all the rest of it. And then all of a sudden one day I was cruising through my Bible, doing my spiritual duty, having a blast. And all of a sudden I come across pride. Huh? But I thought you could be proud to be an American. And you start going through and you start realizing that the fall started with pride. I told people, they said, well, you don't have to be baptized to uh, be saved. And I said, nope, you don't. I said, but let me tell you something. If you think obedience to baptism is tough, wait till he starts messing with pride. Because he will. And pride will just absolutely run you ragged. Because one of the things I've learned, now maybe you guys have attained this thing, but I, pride just shows up to me all the time. I, I know when I've got it whipped and then I turn around and run into it again. It says, do not touch. And there we go. Verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. It's a spiritual death. It killed him. I died. He realized he was cut off from the life of God. He was a sinner. He realized he was only doomed. End of verse 11. Look at it. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. Please don't hear that word. What does sin do? Deceives you. Right? You see the wet paint on there? Wet paint. Do not touch. And there's some fingerprints. Oops. It deceives. It deceives. And then through it, what? Killed me. Verse 12. So then, the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Cool. Cool. So the problem is not the law. The problem is us. The problem is us. I want to close with this thought. Here's, here's why I am so adamant against the ritual, ceremonial, sacrilege, whatever you want to call it, sacramentalism and all of this. You know, if I do 27 Hail Marys and a rosary and a count of bead and all that other stuff. I don't care. Burn incense or I'll show up for the candlelight service, you know, and I'll hold two candles. Okay. Here's why I'm so against this, all right? And I get my information from Paul. Verse 14, what he says. We know the law is spiritual, okay? 
Amen. Why can't you keep it? Read the next line. I am of flesh. The flesh can't do the spiritual. That's why you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you can't do it. And you take that back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Guess what? Behold, unveiled face. I look into a mirror. What? I see Christ. And let me tell you something. It is nothing that you pretty people did. It is the Holy Spirit overwhelming you, producing Christ's righteousness through you. Now then, do you see why the old covenant is obsolete? It is spiritual. Remember Jesus? It's not what goes into the man that defiles him. What comes out of it. Remember he says, you have not, you say I have not committed adultery, but I tell you, if you have looked upon a woman, guess what? You committed adultery. Do you see that? It's, it's, that is so clear. You've ever been angry? You've committed murder. Why? It is there. The issue is there. The law exposes it and stirs up the dust. The new covenant shines the light on it so you can say, man, that was a dirty mess. The moral law was given by God to kill us. Well, that don't sound like a Christmas message. That's why there is a Christmas message. The problem that I see in the body of Christ today, we don't know that. You know what? We're going to preach the gospel. Let me tell you something about the gospel. Gospel means good news, right? The problem with the gospel is you've got to have the bad news first. And that's one of the things that is missing in the body of Christ today. I'm going to do my ritual. I'm going to do a solo. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to clean this week. I'm going to paint the building. We'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do this. You know what? Doesn't do anything. Has no solution to your sin. I don't care what you do. Christ covers the sin. And he does it from the inside out. (laughs) And we can walk in the glory of the risen king. It produces righteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, there's just so much. It's so inadequate at this. Father, I just pray that my brothers and sisters, through your spirit, have ears to hear and eyes to see. That, Father, they be overwhelmed by your love, be overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy. And that, Father, uh, you help each of us to walk. Walk in the radiance of Christ. Glory would grow brighter and brighter. We move into this time when people people may be listening a little more. Father, don't let us get sidetracked with the minutia. Let us get to the point that humanity is sinful. But Father, you are holy. And only you, Lord, redeem a sinful man. Hmm. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. To your glory and praise. Amen.